Chapter 18 of The Romance of Modern Electricity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson. Chapter 18 How Electricity Produces Light. The First Idea of an Electric Light. Discovery of the Electric Arc. What Happens in an Arc Lamp. How We Came to Have Incandescent Lamps. The True Meaning of Combustion. Edison's First Idea for a Glow Lamp. A Common Error in Comparing Gas and Electric Lighting. An Interesting Old Lady. Artificial Daylight. It would be difficult to say when the very first thought of an electric light entered the mind of man, for such an idea might even have been suggested in some way to the philosophers of many ages ago. It is recorded that one ancient philosopher had observed sparks emitted by his stockings while in the act of undressing, and in these tiny sparks we see some connection between electricity and light. Early experimenters must have been more impressed with this connection when the primitive frictional machines came into use, for in the dark some beautifully luminous effects were produced. It is not probable, however, that these distant workers ever dreamed of a practical electric light. Early in the 19th century, that very thoughtful Cornish experimenter, Sir Humphrey Davy, made an important discovery. Having coupled together the whole of his battery of 2,000 cells, he connected a carbon pencil to each of the two battery wires, whereupon he found that if the carbons were made to touch each other, thus completing the circuit, and if then gradually separated, the spark between them became a very brilliant continuous arch, or arc of light. Not only do the carbon points become white-hot, but a continuous stream of volatilized particles fills the intervening space. The carbons gradually waste away, but it will be understood that the heat and light are in no way dependent upon combustion. The arc is maintained by the electric current, which is necessarily at a high pressure to overcome the great resistance offered to its passage across between the carbon points. The arc lamp, with which we are all familiar in our streets, railway stations, or public buildings, is nothing more than a machine to feed the carbons forward as required, and to start or strike the arc. Unless the carbons are put into contact with each other to start with, the current cannot get across from the one to the other. But when the current is turned on, the carbons are in contact with each other, and as soon as the current passes, the lamp automatically separates the carbon points, and thus forms the arc. An arc lamp placed in the focus of a large reflector in a lighthouse tower may be visible for at least twenty or thirty miles on a clear night, and indeed very powerful lamps, equal to hundreds of thousands of candles, may be discerned at a distance of over one hundred miles. Quite recently, a flashlight has been put into St. Catherine's Lighthouse in the Isle of Wight, which is estimated at 15 million candle power, and which should be seen from the French coast in clear weather. In connection with the arc lamp, it is interesting to note that no matter how close the carbon points are brought to each other at the outset, no current will pass until they actually touch. Then they quickly become heated, and when separated, a bridge of carbon vapor is formed between them. If an arc lamp hisses, then one knows that the carbon points are not far enough separated, or if there is a flashing and spluttering, the distance is too great, but an up-to-date arc lamp works very steadily indeed. 
An arc lamp was used in 1858, when the foundations of Westminster Bridge across the Thames were being laid. But while this is sometimes quoted as the first time that an electric light was used for a practical purpose, it is not really so, as the Parisians, some eleven years earlier, eliminated the Place de la Concorde by means of an arc lamp. In the arc lamp it is, of course, necessary to replace the carbon sticks or pencils continually, owing to their wasting away as already mentioned. But of late years, many arc lamps have been made in which the carbons are enclosed in a globe, into which the air leaks but slowly, thus preventing the carbons wasting away so rapidly. While the carbons in an ordinary open arc do not last more than 12 to 16 hours, an enclosed arc lamp may burn for 150 hours before requiring new carbons, which means a considerable saving, not only in carbons, but also in the work of attending to the lamps. We have seen that Sir Humphrey Davy was the first to produce the electric arc, giving us the basis of arc lighting. And as the same ingenious experimenter showed that a continuous stick of carbon could be made white-hot by passing sufficient current through it, he has, at least, given the suggestion of another method of lighting. No doubt Davy's mind would be absorbed with the heating property of the arc, as that would appeal to him strongly, he being a great chemist but this will be dealt with later in the chapter on electricity as a heating agent. If a wire or thread of carbon is made white-hot by passing a current through it, the carbon will very soon disappear owing to combustion, and it was the prevention of this waste that made electric lighting by means of a carbon wire possible. Some people find it difficult to see quite clearly how it is that electric light has to take the fact of combustion into account, and yet that it is in no way produced by combustion. I think this matter may be explained by a very simple and well-known experiment. If a lighted candle is placed inside a large glass bottle and its mouth closed, the candle burns for a little time, but its light soon becomes fainter and fainter and then disappears. A second lighted candle, lowered into the bottle, will now immediately go out. The reason for this result is no doubt plain to all. The bottle, at the outset, contained a certain amount of air, dependent entirely upon its capacity, and when the lighted candle was put in, the bottle was corked, so that no air could escape or enter. No air has passed out of the bottle, and yet the candle will not burn. It is therefore evident that the condition of the air must now be quite different. There has been a chemical change going on. The carbon in the candle, when heated, has been able to unite with the oxygen of the air, and thus has formed carbon dioxide, commonly called carbonic acid gas. The chemist signifies this by the symbol CO2, which reads that a molecule of this new compound is composed of one part of carbon and two parts of oxygen. In chemistry, each element has a distinctive and easily remembered symbol, as C for carbon, O for oxygen, H for hydrogen, Cu for copper, Zn for zinc, and so on. The chemical symbol for water will therefore be H2O, a water molecule being a combination of two parts of hydrogen with one of oxygen. To return to the bottle with the extinguished candle, it becomes apparent that the uniting of the carbon of the candle and the oxygen of the air has ceased, and as a good deal of the candle remains and can be relighted outside of the bottle, it is evident that all the oxygen of the bottle full of air has united with the candle's carbon, so that no further chemical union can go on. 
to this act of chemical combination we give the simple name of combustion and in the case of the lighted candle when we keep it well supplied with oxygen as we do in burning it in the open air the combustion will go on as long as there is any candle left it is this combustion that causes the candle to give heat and light for the minute particles of carbon become white-hot and luminous we must have the combustion and consequent change of material to have the lighted candle for if we prevent the combustion by taking away all the available oxygen we of course get no chemical union and therefore no light but if we can raise and maintain a white heat by some other means than combustion then the conditions are quite different it was known from the onset that a current of electricity heated the conductor through which it was flowing and the greater the resistance offered to the current the greater the heat sir humphrey davy showed a wire of carbon raised to a white heat by the passage of an electric current so that all that remained to be done was to prevent any oxygen getting near the heated carbon it is from the air that the carbon steals the oxygen so our best plan is to keep the carbon out of the way of temptation by shutting it up where it cannot get a hold of any air this is easily accomplished by sealing up the carbon in a glass globe after exhausting all the air from it by means of an air pump the carbon may now be raised to a white heat by the current and made to glow but combustion is prohibited and therefore there is no appreciable waste some tiny particles of carbon do manage to free themselves from the carbon filament as may be seen in a lamp that has been long in use by a blackening of the inside of the globe these glow lamps are descriptively named electric incandescent lamps the carbon filament in one of these lamps is very fine so that it offers a very poor passage to the current and therefore is more easily heated whereas the metal wires leading to the lamp and into the carbon are much better conductors and allow the current so free a passage that the heating of them is quite inappreciable the temperature of the little carbon filament is somewhere about three thousand four hundred fifty degrees on fahrenheit's scale although sir humphrey davy's carbon stick became heated by the passage of the current it did not at first seem possible to use carbon in any suitable form for a small lamp so the early experiments were all made with very fine metal wires of different alloys the great difficulty however was that when a fine metal wire became white-hot and gave light it was very apt to fuse one might picture this result as due to the molecules while clinging together by their natural cohesive force reaching such a rapid rate of vibration that they are no longer able to hold on to each other and so the wire gives way the metal tending to change into liquid form there is not this trouble with carbon and after finding metals unreliable edison made a suitable carbon wire by cutting thin slips of bamboo grass and charring them while another practical filament was made by swan by carbonizing a linen fiber with sulfuric acid footnote in modern manufacture the materials for making the lamp filaments are dissolved into a solution having a consistency similar to that of treacle this semi-liquid is then forced through small tubes coming out as a continuous thread or wire which is then placed on carbon moulds of any desired shape and thereafter placed in a furnace and carbonized End of footnote. the appearance of an ordinary glow lamp is familiar to all and while the filament looks quite substantial while the lamp is glowing it will be found to be a very fine thread of carbon if examined while the current is not passing 
this apparent difference in size is merely an optical illusion due to the intense light from the white-hot carbon impinging with considerable force upon the retina of the eye and causing as it were a spreading of the sensations to more of the retina than the directly affected part thus conveying the idea of a larger image this effect is known as irradiation and may be observed not only with brightly luminous objects but even between black and white bodies a very stout person looks stouter when dressed in white than when in black and so on these glow lamps have certain advantages over gas or other artificial illuminants and not the least of these is the fact that they do not steal any of the oxygen of the air which we ourselves require to inhale in order to keep up the combustion in our bodies unless sufficient oxygen can by means of our sponge-like lungs be brought within reach of our vitiated blood with which it unites we soon feel a difficulty in breathing and a lack of energy which as we are well aware if carried to excess will mean a complete cessation of our vitality each ordinary gaslight steals as much oxygen as several able-bodied men so that it is very necessary to keep a room which is illuminated by gas well ventilated and indeed we too often forget that we ourselves are incessantly demolishing the beneficial oxygen in the air of a room and that it is therefore of much importance that at all times there should be a plentiful supply of fresh air the chemical products of a gaslight soon tarnish and dirty the decorations of a room so that the electric glow-lamp has a distinct advantage in this respect without discussing the matter of comparative cost it may be mentioned that some consumers having possibly read comparative statements of the cost per candle power between gas and electricity are surprised to find their electric bill considerably higher than their former gas bill but they will find the reason to be that they are using far more candle power than they formerly did they would not be content to light a room electrically with the same candle power as they previously used with gas for the glow-lamp does not emit such a penetrating light and if only the same candle power were provided the room would appear to have a much poorer light in addition to the great convenience of electric light and the advantage of its leaving our life-sustaining oxygen alone it is less heating which for some purposes is an advantage there is practically no risk of fire from glow-lamps if installed by expert workmen it may be noted in passing that in the electric arc lamp the carbons being exposed to the air are subject to combustion but this is merely an effect and not the cause of the light as already explained i remember an old lady who had been bedridden for some twenty years having met with an accident at the age of seventy-two but retaining clear mental faculties up to the time of her death at the age of ninety-two or ninety-three it was most interesting to find what ideas this old lady had formed about this electricity which she had never seen at work nor heard or read about further than from general remarks in the daily newspapers she asked many interesting questions and in connection with electric light which she had never seen in any form she wanted to know if the electricity burned in the lamp like gas or oil it was quite a natural and a thoughtful question and it is doubtful if a great many people who are quite accustomed to the use of electric light ever realize this point that while gas and oil are consumed in burning in the sense of combustion as already indicated it is quite different with electricity as it merely does its work and passes on 
it is something like a river once he's guided to a water-wheel and after turning the mill passing on its way as before to its great reservoir the sea in the case of the river we know that the sun has evaporated some water from the ocean and deposited the vapor aloft in clouds and that later the vapor has again liquefied and fallen upon the mountain-tops whence collecting it together gradually forms a river which on its way back to the ocean will do useful work in turning a water-wheel etc if we consider electricity as a disturbance of the ether ocean and the dynamo as a pump then we have some sort of analogy but as was already pointed out it is impossible to find any adequate analogy for electrical matters we agree to speak of a current of electricity not that we believe there is a flow in the same sense as a stream of water and while we find it convenient to think quite freely of the carbon filament of a lamp as offering so much resistance to the current that the carbon becomes heated and glows we must not imagine anything akin to mechanical friction and resistance we must express our ideas about electricity figuratively and it is only if we forget that these expressions are arbitrary that any misunderstanding arises indeed it was only when the early theories were formed no matter how crude they may now seem to us that advancement in matters electrical was made possible electrical engineers have done much to cheapen the cost of producing electric current for lighting purposes but within the last few years a great reduction in the cost of electric light has been accomplished by means of glow lamps made upon a different plan instead of employing a filament of carbon very fine filaments of rare metals have been used in one class of lamps of which the osram is well known the metal is tungsten the filaments of these lamps are made of the rare metals whose names they bear the metals are produced from their compounds in the form of fine metallic powder which is then mixed with a suitable binding paste and squirted through small apertures to form the fine filaments these are placed in a mixture of gases and an electric current is passed through the filaments causing the ingredients of the binding material to combine with the gases while the particles of the rare metal become welded together these metallic filaments become white-hot very much more easily than the carbon filaments some of the metallic filament lamps now in use take less than one-third of the electric current required for a carbon filament lamp of the same candle power this is a great step in advance and places electric light in a very much stronger position if we can continue making strides of this kind electric light will soon have no rival End of chapter 18